Today is called Good Friday. But why do we call this Friday good? This day when Jesus died. This day when Christ was crucified. Why on earth and under heaven would anyone ever think to call this day good? I mean, think about it. For those who were there, this day was decisively not good. For the disciples, for Mary, this day was terrible. It was dread-filled, heart-piercing, gut-wrenching, hope-crushing, dream-destroying agony. His disciples had followed him for three years, three years filled with laughing and talking and walking and eating. For three years, they had seen miracles happen before their eyes. For three years, their hopes had been kindled and fanned into flame. For three years, their dreams of liberation had seemed real and in reach. For those who were there, this day was the day when freedom died. Because on this day, Christ was crucified. Good? How could that day ever be good? Unjustly mocked, flogged, afflicted, stripped naked, shamed and nailed to a cross. And yet, we have the audacity to call this day good. How could we ever call this day this day of all days, how could we ever begin to call this day, this ill-gotten day, good? The goodness of this ill-gotten Friday can only be ascribed in retrospect. If it, is good, if it is good at all, it can only be seen and understood as good after the fact. But before we can begin to understand how this day is good, we must see just how bad it was. And this day did not start well. For with the light of the rising sun, the dawn awakened to betrayal. The first betrayal was the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane. As we read in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if, it is, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The first betrayal was at the hands of Jesus' own disciples. They fell asleep. They fell asleep. They had been asked to stay awake and to pray. But when their friend was just feet away, within eyesight, they could have thrown a stone to him and they could hear everything he was saying. When Jesus was in an agony, sweating drops of blood, his friends left him alone in solitude and isolation as they laid down and slept. 
In fact, this is far worse than the Gospel of Matthew, where it says that Jesus came and woke them up three times. When he was in an agony, when, when Jesus was in despair, when he was accepting that he was going to take up the cross and die, Jesus sought the company of his friends. Those friends he asked to stay awake and pray. And every single time, they let him down. They were asleep. And in their slumber, they let Jesus suffer alone. The second betrayal followed right after, as Judas arrived with a crowd. In verse 47, it says, While Jesus was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Judas was one of the twelve. He had been with Jesus for three years. He had walked with him, talked with him, eaten and laughed with him. He had even seen the miracles with his own eyes. But he had become disillusioned with the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. We learn at the beginning of chapter 22 that Jesus, Judas had been plotting his betrayal for a while. He had conspired with the Jewish leaders about how to betray Jesus and they'd even settled on a price. In verse 3, it says, Then Satan entered into Judas, and he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers about how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. Judas was a part of the plot to remove Jesus from the public eye. Within Jesus' own inner circle, the allure of money and greed was too strong. Judas brought a mob with him as he went to meet with Jesus. And to the mob, he gave a sign. The man he kissed would be the man that they should take away and crucify. The kiss of death. And while this greeting might sound strange to us today, it was actually the custom of that day. In Jewish custom, it was, it was the custom to greet your rabbi, to greet your, your teacher, your leader with a kiss. So the other disciples wouldn't have thought anything of it. They had done the exact same greeting with Jesus just hours before. But for Judas, this ordinary act was the sign. It was the signal. This was the man the soldiers and guards should seize and crucify. For Judas, the money was too good, and he was disillusioned with Jesus, and the price was right. He would be set for life, and so he sold his friend to die. But the betrayals don't end there. In verse 54, we find the third betrayal. Then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. 
How deep of a hole can Peter dig? Was falling asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane not enough? Perhaps he was following Jesus to try and redeem himself for having fallen asleep, to prove that he wouldn't be the one to let Jesus down. Slinking behind in the distance, trying to hide in the crowd. But Jesus had said that Peter would deny him before the morning. It's as though Jesus, it's as though Peter was trying to maintain his pride and to prove Jesus wrong. Peter was, was the rock. He was the one who saw Jesus was the, the Christ. But when his feet were placed to the fire, when the light gave himself away, he, he denied ever knowing Jesus. Out of fear, Peter denied ever knowing his friend. When asked if he knew Jesus, Peter denied ever knowing the Savior of the world. And the betrayals just keep stacking up. Jesus has been betrayed by those who knew him. But now those in power who enforce civil justice will choose to betray an innocent man to the cross. In chapter 23, verse 13, we read, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold... I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done to him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. And he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Innocent Jesus was falsely condemned by the mob. And Pilate, this this enforcer of civil justice, decided to let truth and justice be denied. This was the betrayal of justice. This was the betrayal of truth. This was the betrayal of an innocent man. Words words failed to express the wickedness of this corruption. The guilty murderer Barabbas was released and set free. Barabbas, who stood condemned to die, was replaced by the innocent Christ. The innocent Jesus took the place of Barabbas, the convicted felon, The innocent Jesus took the punishment that was meant for the guilty traitor. And at the demand of the mob, justice was perverted, and the innocent man was betrayed to the cross. The sleeping disciples in Gethsemane, the kiss of Judas, the denial of Peter at that fireside, the corruption of Pilate, 
This Friday is a day marked with betrayal after betrayal after betrayal. J.C. Ryle, an English bishop in the 1800s, once said, It is an excellent thing for us all to be continually dwelling on the cross of Christ. It is a good thing to be often reminded how Jesus was betrayed into the hands of wicked men, how they condemned him with most unjust judgment, how they spit on him, scourged him, beat him, and crowned him with thorns, how they led him forth as a lamb to the slaughter, without his murmuring or resisting, how they drove the nails through his hands and feet, and set him up on Calvary between two thieves, how they pierced his side with a spear, mocked him in his suffering, and let him hang there naked and bleeding till he died. Of all these things I say, it is good to be reminded. And yet there is still one more betrayal which Christ bore to the cross. You see, Jesus was betrayed to the cross not just by his sleeping disciples, and not just by Judas, and not just by Peter, and not just by Pilate and the mob. No, we betrayed him too. We also have it apart to play. We betrayed Jesus to the cross. But how could that be? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think any of us were alive 2,000 years ago. How could we have betrayed Jesus to the cross? Well, the thing is, we, we have betrayed Jesus to the cross. We've betrayed Jesus in the truest sense of all. This Jesus who is Lord of all, who is God among us, who is God with us, who is creator, redeemer, king of kings and Lord of lords, against this Jesus we have all committed divine treason. We are cosmic anarchists. We have all rejected his position as king and as Lord. We have all denied him his godness and said he's not in charge. We have all tried to steal his throne and live our lives without him. We have all been a part of the cosmic coup d'etat. We are anarchists against the God who made the universe and all that's in it. We are anarchists against the God who fashioned us in our mother's wombs and who knows the number of hairs upon our head. And in our cosmic anarchy, we betray Jesus. We betray the God who became man. We go and live our lives for me, and so we abandon Jesus for our comfort. We leave him alone in the garden so that we can live our comfy lives and not be inconvenienced by the God who made the world. When we go and live our lives for our bank statements and our portfolios, we, we have sold Jesus for our own prosperity. We have sought fortunes and wealth and pleasures and experiences at the very expense of knowing and trusting God. When we go and live our lives in secret religious piety, we have denied Jesus for fear. We dismiss the love and value he has for our neighbors and strangers when we refuse to open our mouths and share about the God whom we claim we love and adore. When we go and live our lives for the pursuit of power and fame, we have forsaken Jesus and all justice just to see our name in lights. We consider ourselves more important than the God who made us and say we're more worthy of fame and power than the very one who's given us life. We are traitors against God who made the heavens and the earth. 
We have usurped his throne of majesty and might and tried to make our lives about us instead of the God who made us. We have portrayed Jesus to the cross. We have sinned and transgressed against God. And our sins, our betrayals, were borne by Jesus to the cross. Because you see, we betrayed Jesus to the cross. Us, Pilate, Peter, Judas, the disciples. This day is just littered with betrayal. How could this Friday, overflowing with betrayal, how could this ill-gotten day ever be called This day is good because of how Jesus responds to betrayal. Look with me how Jesus responds to Peter in chapter 22, beginning in verse 60. We read, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. They had been up throughout the night. Now the sun is, is rising. The day is dawned, and Peter has forsaken his Lord. Peter, the disciple who just hours ago professed that he would never leave or forsake Jesus, this same Peter has betrayed him. And with the rooster's cry, Jesus turned to look Peter in the eyes. And when Peter realized what he had done, when he remembered what Jesus had said, when he saw Jesus' eyes connecting with his own, it was too much, and he went out and wept bitterly. I mean, just imagine Jesus turning and looking locking eyes with you. Imagine the man in the middle of the room, standing condemned, looking, looking at you. He'd been awake all throughout the night. He was tired and standing there in the middle. But with the rooster, he turns and looks at you. He's looking for you. At the sound of the rooster, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And of course, Peter knew. Peter knew Jesus was looking at him. He was looking for him. And tired, sleepless Peter had let Jesus down. Had it dawned on Peter yet? Had the weight of what had happened and was about to happen struck home? Did he know that in just a couple more hours, Jesus was going to die? Perhaps he did. Yet on that good, ill-gotten morning, on that morning when betrayal awoke the dawn, Peter missed something. In that moment when Jesus turned and looked at him in the eyes, looked eyes with him, he missed the words behind the eyes. And he missed the message of mercy and compassion. Jesus knew. And Peter knew that he knew. 
They both knew that Peter had betrayed his Lord. But that's all that Peter knew. Jesus knew more. Jesus knew that in just a few more hours that justice would denounce deception, that love would cast out fear, that light would pierce through the dark, and that mercy would awaken the dawn. When Jesus turned to lock eyes with Peter, he looked with eyes of love. Love. It's with love that Jesus responds to betrayal. It's with love that Jesus awakens the disciples. It's with love that Jesus spoke with Judas. It's with love that Jesus went as a lamb to the slaughter. It's with love that Jesus speaks to the thief by his side on the other cross saying, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus responds to betrayal with love and he responds to us with love. In response to our betrayal, to our, to our sins, Jesus shows us love. He looks, us in, he looks for us with eyes of love as he hangs there upon the cross. And there he bears upon himself the weight and cost of our betrayal. In the letter to the Romans, St. Paul writes, For one will scarcely die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. There upon the cross, he bears the cost of our rebellion, of our treason, of our anarchy. There upon the cross, his love pours out as he grants us forgiveness. The prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 53 that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one with, from whom men hide their faces when he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The cross is the very altar of our faith. It is the very altar of our praise, for there upon the cross the Lamb was slain. There on the cross, he was the perfect sacrifice. There upon the cross, he bore the price for our rebellion. There upon the cross, he made atonement for our sins. There upon the cross, he suffered and died for us. And he did it because he loves us. He chose it. He is our willing sacrifice. This is the altar of our praise, and there is no greater proof of God's love for us than this. J.C. Ryle says, Where shall I go and know the length and breadth of God's love towards a sinful world? Where shall I see it most displayed? Shall I look at the glorious sun shining down daily upon the world? 
Shall I look at the provision of his harvest returning in regular yearly succession? Oh no, I, I can find a stronger proof of love than anything of this sort. I look at the cross of Christ. For there I see not the cause of the Father's love, but the effect. There I see that God so loved this wicked world that he gave his only begotten Son, gave him to suffer and to die, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I know that the Father loves us because he did not withhold from us his Son, his only Son. You are loved, deeply loved. The very God, you are loved by the very God who made you. We have betrayed him and committed cosmic anarchy. We have ignored him, scoffed him and mocked him, claimed he doesn't exist or if he does that he doesn't care or that he doesn't have any say in what we do with our lives. Yet he loves you so dearly, more than you can begin to fathom. He loves you so much that he died for you so that you could be with him. And it was because of this love that he bore our betrayals to the cross. Because Jesus responds to betrayal with love. But how do we know such a love? How do we know and experience the love which Jesus gives and pours out in response to our betrayal? We simply need to look to the cross. In Luke 23, verses 44, it says, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. We look to the cross. We behold the man upon the cross, the sacrificial lamb, the Christ, the Savior of the world. We look at him and we behold him. We consider that what it was he did for us, how he gave his life for us, but not just that, how he bore the penalty for our sins, how he took upon himself the cost of our transgressions, how he bore the wrath of God upon himself, how he drank the cup to the last dreg, turned it over and said, it is finished. For at the cross, he took the punishment for our cosmic anarchy. At the cross, Jesus took the weight and cost of our betrayal. We behold the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world, and we consider how he who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. We fix our eyes upon the cross and run to him who showed great love. We behold him. We fix our eyes upon the cross, upon this altar of our praise. 
J.C. Ryle, again, to quote him, says it like this. Go to the cross of Christ, all you that desire to be freed from the power of your selfishness. Go to the cross of Christ. Go and see how the Son of God gave himself for you and learn to think it a small thing to give yourself to him. To know the love of God, we just need to look at the cross. There's nowhere else to look but the cross. Nothing else in all the world is so glorious and so profound as this. Jesus hanging upon the cross for you. Jesus bore the weight of your sins upon his shoulders. Jesus took the weight of our betrayals to the cross. And there he died for you. He bled and died for you. And he did it willingly because he loves you. Why is this day good? The goodness of this ill-gotten Friday can only be ascribed in retrospect. The goodness of this day can only be seen and understood after the fact. And the fact is this. Jesus responds to our betrayal with love. Jesus responds to our betrayal with love. This day when Christ was betrayed to a cross, surely this day is good. For though he was betrayed to the cross, Jesus responds with love. The greatest proof of love that the world will ever know. As he bore the weight of our betrayal upon himself and suffered the penalty of our sins, he poured out upon us all his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. This good, ill-gotten Friday is the day love went deeper than our betrayals. This good, ill-gotten Friday is the day when we are forgiven our sins. This good, ill-gotten Friday is the day that love saved the world. And so we have the audacity to say, truly this is good Friday. Yes, we call this day good.